Um, all right. Well, it's good seeing you all. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I am Eric. I am your pastor, actually. Um, and uh, most of you might be wondering why it's so big tonight. Um, tonight. Tonight actually marks the beginning of a very special topical series that we are trying to do every other month this year, okay? Uh, but we thought that this series was so important that, I'd be, that I thought it'd be good to have both junior high and high school uh, combined to be together for it. Uh, we didn't give the series a name, but I hereby call it A Faithful Presence. Um, our series is meant to help us answer the question, how do we faithfully follow Jesus when the dominant values of our world conflict with Jesus's? And a lot of what we believe as Christians, if you guys are aware, put us at odds with many of the beliefs of our friends, classmates, and teachers. Uh, and I'm sure some of you thought to yourself, what should I do? Do I just go along with what my friends think? Uh, or maybe for some of you, you have no idea what to think. Um, you've never thought about it before. And so, um, and if any of these questions resonate with you, this series is just for you. Um, and if they didn't, too bad. This series is also just for you. Um, this series is actually meant to help us consider to how to be faithful to God. Okay, this series is meant to help us how to be faithful to God, how to still love our friends and neighbors, even when we disagree with them, a faithful presence. That's what we're trying to be as Christians, okay? And so with that, with that just brief introduction, let me pray for us and then get started with our time together, okay? Father, we're so thankful for uh, your faithfulness to be, uh, to, to allow us to be together tonight uh, with uh, junior high, high school, and even parents as well. And so, Father, we're thankful for uh, the family that you have called us to be together uh, through Jesus Christ. And we do pray that even as we sit under the same teaching together, that you would uh, make this time really, really beneficial for us, that we would learn lots, but more than that, you, that you would change our hearts through the Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you, we love you, we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, well, uh, to kick off our series, um, I want us to consider the question, what does it mean to be free? Okay, maybe write that question down in your handouts. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be free? Uh, how would you answer that question? Or how about a fill in the blank? I am free when I can blank. How would you fill in the blank? Maybe for some of you, I, I, and uh, freedom is able to, you know, being able to stay up and sleep whenever you want. For me, uh, when I was growing up, freedom meant being able to hang out with my friends as late as I wanted to, uh, with my mom up at two in the morning, waiting for me to come home. Sorry, mom. But maybe for others of you, uh, freedom is the ability to drive a car, uh, so you don't have to rely on your parents to take you everywhere, or it's the possibility to watch the show or video or wear this outfit, or to hang out with a certain group of friends. Or for, for others of us, freedom means not being constrained by the wishes of your parents, or the freedom to act without any judgment or even consequences. And the list can go on and on. Uh, freedom looks differently for all of us, but the point of freedom is that we choose, right? However you filled in the blank, at the heart, freedom is boundless possibility. We make the rules. We decide what's best for us. We determine when we get off our phones, and no one, not even our parents, our friends, our teachers, or our pastors can tell us otherwise. And I can't think of anything else that best captures this sentiment than the lines of this famous song. And I'm not going to sing it uh, because it's going to get stuck in our heads for like two decades. Um, 
But see if you guys can recognize um, the song, okay? It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You guys know those, the lines in the next song or of the next line? Let it go. I'm not going to sing it. Let it go. For your guys' sake, I'm not going to sing it. That perfect girl is gone. Here I stand in the light of day. Let the storm rage on. The cold never, never bothered me anyway. Now, it's crazy that Frozen came out eight and a half years ago. Okay, none of you were in youth group yet. Some of you are like, what even is Frozen? Um, but I think these lines from Frozen best capture the mood and the vibe of what it means today to be free. Freedom, according to the lines of Frozen, is to be limitless, boundless. Freedom is to follow no one else but yourself. But a question that I want us to consider is, is this freedom actually good? Is it actually a good thing? Is it good for us? And with, this, with some qualification, I want to show you why this limitless and boundless freedom is not actually liberty, but really slavery. And what I want to show you from the Bible is that God actually offers us someone better than following yourself. Okay? And so if you're following along with our notes, the key idea for our passage, for our message tonight, is two reasons why following Jesus is better than following ourselves. Two reasons why following Jesus is better than following ourselves. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. I think it's a very familiar passage for a lot of you, but Matthew chapter 11 is the first book of the Bible, I'm sorry, it's the first book in the New Testament, not in the book, not in the Bible, but in the New Testament, Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, just three simple verses, verses 28 to 30 of chapter 11, okay? Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. You guys there? I see some head nodding. Okay, well, I'm there. I'm just going to start us off, okay? You're not there? Okay, I'll give you some time. Okay, all right. Verse 28, this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word. And so the first point the first reason why Jesus, following Jesus is better than following ourselves is because following ourselves is exhausting. Following ourselves is exhausting. And now I want you guys to imagine a scenario with me, okay? Let's say that at the start of the school year, uh, you were told by your principal, by your teachers, and even uh, by the person handing you your lunch that it was up to you to choose your own destiny, to choose that it was up to you to pursue your own truth, that it was up to you to carve out a significant life, that it was up to you to do well in school, that it's up to you, in the words of my Peloton instructor, to choose your own destiny and fantasy. If this was what you were told every single day, all the way till the end of junior high, and for some of you until the end of high school, what kind of person do you think you would become 
at the end of it all? Competitive? Achievement-oriented? Driven? Maybe annoyed? Yeah, that's possible. Tired? Anxious? Depressed? Stressed? Antisocial? Busy? All of the above? But the crazy thing is that for some of you, actually for many of you, this isn't an imaginary scenario. It's actually your life. For many of you, this is a variation of your daily schedule, okay? Uh, Wake up at 6.30 or earlier, leave home for school around 7, class ends at around 3, 3.30, immediately after you go to your choice of extracurricular activity until 6 or 7, you go home, you have a quick dinner, and then you shower or not, and then after all that, you work nonstop on homework and study and go to bed at 11 or even perhaps later. I mean, I, I, I really don't envy you guys. I don't envy your schedule at all. I, and I understand completely why you guys nod off to me on Friday nights. You guys are tired. You, your everyday routine reveals that you have absorbed the modern view that it really is up to you to determine your dreams. Everything to everyone in your life has reinforced this idea explicitly or implicitly since you were young. But if you were told that it's up to you to succeed, what happens when you can't keep up, when it seems that your friends and your classmates around you are doing just fine? If it's all up to you and you fail, who do you have left to blame but yourself, right? But let's say that you don't fail. Let's, let's just say that you succeed and you got everything that you ever wanted. Would that be enough? If you want to be successful, and who wouldn't, you can't just be successful like one time. You have to be successful again and again. And some of you might rise to the challenge. But in order to be truly successful, you have to do it again and again and again. I mean, good luck, no pressure. You can't settle if you want to be successful. And so what, happen, what ends up happening is we become far more stressed, fragile, vulnerable, anxious, because we can't bear to ask the question, what if I don't? This is the exhaustion of modern freedom. Because we never know when enough is enough. I mean, how do I know that I've done enough? How do I know that I've studied enough? How do I know if my application is good enough? What if my grades aren't good enough? What if I'm not good enough? It's no wonder that one author writes, the depressed person is simply the person out of gas, tired and empty, restless and violent. We feel the weight of our individual choices. You know, many of us think that freedom is the right to be free from whatever limits us and the right to do whatever we want. It is liberation, unrestrained and uninhibited by anyone or anything. No one can tell us what to do and what not to do with our lives. We live in the 21st century. We are masters of our own fate and destiny. But let's actually think about that just a bit more for a second. What would that actually mean? To be the master of your own choices and fate ultimately means that you are, that you are ultimately responsible for your existence and everything that it entails. 
It means that you won't get any help or assistance or guidance from your parents, your friends, your teachers, Google, God, because you don't want any help. You can do it yourself. But the irony is that half of you can't even drive yet. It would mean that you yourself are responsible for living a life of purpose, of defining your own identity, of choosing your values, of choosing where you belong, where you fit in. You are the only one who can set limits on who you are and what you can do. And so let me ask you again, is this freedom? If it is, then unrestrained freedom like this is is stressful. It's exhausting. In fact, unrestrained freedom can even be gross. And you know, when I, was a, when I was in eighth grade, I went on my first school trip away from my parents, away from home. It's that Washington, D.C. trip that every eighth grade class goes on, at least for, for my school. Uh, it was an awesome trip, but uh, probably not for the teachers and chaperones. But our first meal when we arrived in D.C. was a buffet. There were limitless, limitless options. I, I mean, I've, I've been to a buffet before, but never without my parents. And so I ate, and I tried everything with, with reckless abandon. But I ate to the point where my unrestrained freedom led me to the bathroom. And while throwing up in the toilet, I began to rethink and regret all of my own sovereign choices. You see, one of the many problems with this kind of unrestrained freedom is that it's not only impossible, but as my throwing up story showed, we often have no idea what's best for us. At the age of 12 or 15 or, or 17, can you confidently say that the choices that you make right now will lead to the best outcome of your life 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? At age 31, I don't even know what's best for me like tomorrow. What, you think I know what I'm doing? quitting my really nice job, leaving the church that I love, moving to the middle of the country, Texas. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm stressed out. And so can I let you in on a little secret here? In my opinion, everybody is just faking it. No one knows what they're doing. I mean, old, old people don't grow in confidence about their choices that they get older. We just get better at faking it. I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing half the time as a pastor. I'm, I'm really making myself uh, compelling for why you should listen to me here. But to be yourself, to listen to yourself, to follow yourself is, is really, really tiring and exhausting. Which is what makes Jesus' words so refreshing. Take a look at verse 28 again. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you tired of doing things on your own? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel tired from following yourself and pursuing your best life now? Jesus' invitation goes to all who feel like every li- everyday life is just a grind. His invitation goes to all who feel like their existence is a burden and painful. To those who feel like they just can never do enough. To those who feel like they have run out of gas. To receive the kind of rest Jesus offers, there's only one simple 
requirement. In fact, it's the only kind of thing that Jesus will work with. It's to give up following yourself. That's the requirement. It's to give up the myth that you know what's best for yourself. It's to give up the belief that you can do it. And another way that Jesus puts it is to lose yourself and to come to him. Coming to Jesus means that we must first give up ourselves. The rest that Jesus offers only comes when we do life with Jesus, not when we do life on our own. You know, I think one simple way to give up ourselves is to simply recognize that we have limits. That we have limits. We aren't made to run 24-7. Doing more might make you a better student, but it doesn't necessarily make you a better Christian. Somewhere along the way, we've somehow come to believe the cultural expectation that if you're not doing more, then you're not maximizing your time. And so some of you might have a more heightened sense of duty and responsibility. Some of you might feel bad for not doing more. Some of you sign up for every single club that your school has to offer. And some of you pack your schedules full with classes. And I think we do a similar thing at church. We pack our church schedules in the same way that we pack our school schedules. We've resumed doing all the things that we have done before the pandemic. You know, one of the best things about a growing church like Lighthouse also happens to be one of its, I think, Achilles heels. One of the things that has happened because of a growing church is the need to do more stuff. And we hear the announcements for on Sunday, you know, to sign up for this class, attend this hike, go to this event, participate in this training. And of course, all these are optional, of course, and they're for our benefit, of course. And as much as these things are fantastic and great things, sometimes if we're not careful, it reinforces again the idea that doing more means being a better Christian. Sometimes, I think, out of all people, Christians place unnecessary, unnecessary burdens upon themselves. One of the ways that we can detect restlessness and unnecessary burden is by discerning if the expectations that we place upon ourselves are stricter than God's expectations for us. What does God expect of us? God simply expects that we love him, that we cherish him, to love and sacrifice ourselves for others. But beyond these basic expectations, God gives us a lot of freedom. I mean, this means that we don't have to overcommit to the things that are not expected of us. You know, we shouldn't blame Jesus for something that we misunderstand. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but when Jesus says my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it wasn't a promise to relieve all of the necessary burdens of the Christian life. There are necessary burdens of the Christian life, for sure. Rather, it was a promise to relieve all the unnecessary burdens that we place upon ourselves as we step out of bounds and try to be our own kings and queens. When we disregard our natural human limitations, we put ourselves in God's place. And that's where we begin to fall apart physically, emotionally, spiritually. Please don't misunderstand me, okay? 
Don't tell your parents, actually, parents, don't misunderstand me, that Pastor Eric said, I don't have to do this anymore, or I don't have to do this thing or that thing anymore. The point isn't that God expects the bare minimum. Of course not. The point is that we need to embrace our creaturely limitations. You see, I think the instinctual response is, if I can do something, then I should do it. If I can, ten ta- if I can take 10 APs, then why not? If I can go out late at night with friends, then I should go out. If my parents let me dress a certain way, then I should dress however I want. If I have the money for it, then I should buy whatever I want. If my parents don't set a limit on how much I can use my phone or computer, then I should milk it for however long I can. But, 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 just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should do it. Just because we are free to do something doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best thing for us. Which is why I think it's so helpful that we're going through our Living Wisely series on Sundays. And so, the first reason why following Jesus is better is because following ourselves is exhausting. Which brings us to the second reason why following Jesus is better than following ourselves. The second reason is because following ourselves is enslaving. Following ourselves is enslaving. Take a look at verses 29 to 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, in case you don't know what a yoke is, a yoke is simply a brace that pairs two cattle together. And when Jesus invites us to take his yoke upon us, what Jesus is implying is that we already have a yoke that has been placed upon us. There is a kind of yoke, a kind of harness, a kind of brace that leads to exhaustion, burnout, stress, and anxiety. Do you know what that yoke is? It's the yoke and burden of following yourself. What Jesus is implying is that no one is actually free. You might be wondering, I mean, Eric, like, what are you talking about? I make my own choices. I can, express how, I can express myself however I want to. But let me ask you, how many of those choices were actually free choices? For example, we freely choose what classes to take, but we make sure that it's the AP class or the honors class. Why? Because we want people to think that we're smart and capable. We want to get accepted into this school. Our culture tells us to discover our true selves. It tells us that there is no right and wrong, that we must break through the limits because we're free. And yet, for some reason, even though we think that we are free, the reality is that we still want to be seen and affirmed by others. We want to be on the right side of an issue, not the wrong side. We still want to look okay. And so is that really freedom? We freely choose what to wear. And yet somehow all of you kind of wear the same thing. You know that early, you know, 90s baggy look? No offense, by the way. But as much as we try to be different, we can't help but want to be validated and affirmed. As much as we want to be independent from others, we're actually heavily dependent on others. Do you see the irony 
even though we make our own decisions, we also seem to give a lot of weight how others view us. Even though you are told to carve out your own path, you also don't want to get canceled, right? Even though you claim that it doesn't matter how people, other people see you, your nervousness and anxiety when talking with someone seems to reveal a lot more than what you're willing to admit. And so even though we make our own choices, we are also somewhat, in some ways, haunted, possessed by the opinions of others whether for people's approval or for fear of people's disapproval. Does this sound like freedom to you? Not really, right? Thank you. Or does it sound like more like slavery? But what is the alternative? I mean, I mean is, is Jesus really a better alternative? I mean, some of you probably think that it's actually Christianity that's, that's constricting and enslaving. Some of you think that the only place to find freedom is outside the walls of this church building. Freedom is on the outside of this building, not here. You know, I know a lot of people who have grown up in Christian households. On the outside, they were good kids. They obeyed all the rules with a smile. Always obeyed everything that mommy and daddy said and what the pastor said at church. But when they went off to college, they couldn't wait to experience all they've been missing out on as if being a Christian was shackling them from what they truly wanted and desired. They wanted to be free. No more shackles of religion, no more rules to keep, no more listening to this stupid youth pastor. Like eighth grade Eric at a Virginian buffet, they gorge themselves on their newfound freedom. But let's say that you do get to do whatever you want. Play as many video games games as possible. Hang out with your friends till three in the morning, refusing to listen to anyone. Go to class or not. I mean, would that be enough? But as King Solomon once wrote, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The point is that for people like us, for modern people, it'll never be enough. We want more. And so Thomas Aquinas, being the smart guy that that he is, he once asked this, what would satisfy our desires? What would it take to feel satisfied? What would you guys say? What would it take to be fully, fully satisfied? Thomas Aquinas' answer was everything. It would literally take everything. In order to fully satisfy our desires, we would have to experience everything and everybody and be experienced by everything and everybody. You'll need to own every single item in the world. You'll have to win every award in the world, attend every university in the world, earn every degree in the world, have all the money in the world, eat at every single restaurant in the world, travel to every single city in the world, befriend every single person in the world, past, present, and future. Does that sound like something that's possible? Too many things, too many things, exactly. What Thomas is getting at is that it is impossible because nothing in the world is infinite. In fact, we are not infinite. Nothing in this world can satisfy us. And the reason why is because, is because of something that King Solomon actually says. He says that God has put eternity into our hearts. 
That is the reason why. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical conclusion is that I was made for another world. That has to be the case. Our, our desire is infinite because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the God who is himself infinite, eternal, and able to supply all of our needs. The problem isn't desire, because we are fundamentally people of desire. We want things. We long for things. It is in our nature to yearn after things. In fact, the church father Augustine wrote that the whole life of the Christian is a holy longing. That is our life, to be trained by longing. So the problem isn't longing. The problem is the choice of our longings. It isn't that we long, but who we long. Our freedom our sinful freedom will never choose God. That's the problem. Our freedom will never choose God because we don't want God, to be frank. We would rather become enslaved to choose literally anything else other than God. I've talked with some of you and you've told me that you don't want God. This is how sin perverts and corrupts our desires. But it's not surprising that we're always dissatisfied. When we keep choosing to satisfy our desires in things that are not God, we become more and more disappointed by them, but we also at the same time get more and more dependent on them as well. Here's a little story. It's like eating Yoshinoya. Um, I used to eat Yoshinoya almost every day while I was in seminary, like eight years ago, because I was poor and it was quick. But every time I ate it, I was always like, ugh, this is so gross. And I knew there were better things than Yoshinoya. But I always return back to those bright neon vegetables. I hate it, but I also need it. This doesn't sound like freedom. It sounds like addiction. When freedom is imagined only as freedom from constraints and hands off liberty to choose what we want, then we will always be inclined toward our own captivity. We become enslaved to ourselves. Jesus' assumption when he calls us to take his yoke is that we all live under a yoke. We all live under a yoke, whether you are a Christian or not. The question is, whose yoke are you under? If it's yours, if you are under your own yoke, Jesus is asking you, do you realize what it's doing to you? When we constantly chase after our desires to infinity, do you know what the result is? We return back to point number one. It's the constant state of restlessness, anxiety, burnout, frustration, depression, busyness, burdens. You are your own worst master if you follow under your own yoke. And what Jesus invites us to when he calls us to take his yoke is true freedom. True freedom 
isn't actually doing whatever you want and whenever you want it. True freedom is when your heart is no longer restless, but rested, contented. True freedom is when your heart is truly satisfied by Jesus. That is what true freedom is. When you submit under the yoke of Jesus, you don't get shackled under another set of rules. When you submit under the yoke of Jesus, what you get is freedom from yourself. You are freed from yourself. That it's not up to you anymore. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. You don't have to keep performing. You don't have to be your best self. You don't have to know it all, be all, or do all. But here's the thing. If we are our own worst master, then Jesus is a better master. How can following Jesus be so bad when Jesus describes himself as being gentle and lowly in heart? You guys catch that? Jesus is not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. In fact, as the gentlest and the lowliest person in the world, Jesus is the most understanding person in the universe, the most understanding of you, of all the good and all the bad. You know, what's interesting is that the group of people Jesus was the sternest with in, four, in all four accounts of Jesus' life weren't the mess-ups. It wasn't the screw-ups, the, the, the burden, the burnout, the burnt out, the tired, the depressed, the most scathing things that Jesus said were directed toward and reserved for the hypocritical, the self-righteous and the proud. But to the broken, the wounded, the hurting, the tired, the self-deceived, the worn out from religion, Jesus says this, come to me, come to me. I will not cast you out because I am gentle and lowly in heart. The image that we have of Jesus isn't someone with a pointed finger pointing at you, but someone with open arms. Jesus is far more gracious with us than we are with ourselves. This is what the late pastor Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage is listen carefully. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is who Jesus is. This is Jesus' heart for you. And if you're not experiencing his rest, if you are weighed down, 
feeling tired and even resentful of the Christian life, you need to ask yourself whether you're actually resting under his yoke or under your own. If you're feeling burdened and heavy laden, you must ask the question whether you're as humbly submitted to him as you believe yourself to be. Instead of embracing Jesus as your redeemer, it's entirely possible that you've become your own redeemer, begun plowing under your own direction and strength. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, imagine that Jesus is on the one side of the yoke and you're on the other. What would you learn from him? What we learn from him is that Jesus would become the first human being who did not go beyond his human limitations, even though he was God. Jesus didn't do it all. I mean, if you, if you see Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus didn't meet every physical need. He left people waiting in line to be healed. He left one town to preach to another. He got tired just like any other human being. But unlike every other human being, he did everything that God asked him to do. And what we will learn from Jesus is true freedom. As the only person with genuine autonomy and freedom, Jesus had the ultimate liberty and freedom to do whatever he wanted and pleased. I mean, he was God. He's God, right? He saw us living for ourselves, choosing anything other than him, and he could have just passed us by. But he didn't. As the freest person who ever lived, should it surprise us that Jesus didn't have to come into this world? but that out of sheer love and grace, he would voluntarily, under no compulsion of, his own, of anyone, enter into our world and experience, into our sins and into our sorrows, and would willingly suffer his own wrath for us. It's Jesus' absolute freedom that makes his lowly submission so amazing. I mean, we take it for granted that Jesus submitted himself to death, even death on a cross, while forgetting the fact that Jesus was absolutely free not to. That is the definition of a love that is truly free. That's true freedom. And what you will learn from Jesus is that in submission to all that God had asked him to do, he would eventually go to the cross and on the cross, he would be crucified for the sins of those who would submit themselves under his easy yoke. And he would be crushed for those who were crushed by the burdens of their sins and their sorrows. And in rising from the grave, he would give his people rest for their souls. Junior high, junior higher and high schooler, are you in need of freedom, of true freedom, are you tired from the burden of living for yourself and only yourself? I'll let C.S. Lewis, my favorite, conclude this. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, Rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you that you free us from our restless wandering. That is who we were. People who were just off doing our own thing, constantly being stressed, burdened by trying to live for ourselves. And yet you give us Jesus, the one who frees us from all of our longing, from all of our restless wandering, and you find us and you place us in the path of Jesus. And what we find in Jesus is someone who can satisfy our deepest longings. And so, Father, I pray for our junior hires and high schoolers that if they have been living for themselves, that they would relinquish control of themselves and that they would see in Jesus someone who is truly better, a better master, someone better than themselves. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We pray that you would make our time of small groups really profitable for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. All right. You guys are dismissed. Uh, Parents, there are no small groups, so you're welcome to just hang out in the foyer. But junior hires and high schoolers, you guys are dismissed for small groups. Um, I think high school, you guys are welcome to meet here in the sanctuary. Um, Junior hires, you're welcome to be in the same place in the gym. Um, If we run out of space in the sanctuary for small groups, uh, especially for our high schoolers, you're welcome to meet in the gym. I think there's three tables that Keith had put out for for some of you. And so if you're running out of space and don't have a place to meet, uh, you're welcome to meet in the gym. Um, But you guys are dismissed. If you are in Wensing's small group, uh, you're with me again. So, what? Okay, bye guys.